Welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. I'm dancing in my chair. I knew you were. Glad to be back. Yeah. My name's Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. Okay, so we have an update. When we recorded our 100th episode. Yay! I know. And we revisited Judith and Neely's Yeah, we got it right that time. We did. Recent developments... She is getting a parole hearing in May. Yeah, we don't, I don't know the specific day, but it's sometime in May. When we get closer, we can tell you folks if you want to follow yes. it in the news. I don't know that a, a, a date has been set exactly, yeah. right? I we think just it's just this. May is when parole hearings are next on the on the calendar for the parole board, Okay, I guess. And so right. it's her turn. And the past uh, two hearings, I believe, have been waived, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, so... May not even get that far. Right. And there was an uproar on social media and I wanted to be like, go listen to our episode. You mm-hmm. won't, you won't be freaking out as much. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, it's, she's not going to get out of jail. Right guys. Well, I mean, yes. just long enough to go back into another jail in Georgia. Yes. Yeah. They'll be waiting. And, uh, the folks that we, our contacts here at True Crime on Easy Street have assured us that they keep their eyes on that That's date, right. yes. and they know where she is at all times, and they keep contact with Georgia. So, all right, we're all working together, guys. It's, we're gonna no need to gonna, freak out. Team yep. of experts. Yep, and we're gonna keep you updated. We're a team of experts. We know experts. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. know actual experts. Yeah, we say that tongue in cheek. Yeah, who are who can actually do something about this? So, uh, we will keep you updated on that. All right, this is our one hundredth and first episode are we gonna count off everyone now we yeah. should i don't know maybe i was just saying you know now how do you feel now we're like we'll definitely lose count <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure yeah. so does 101 feel as good as 100 i feel older <laughs> i'm a week older now so okay. no right. not so much really proud of us for coming back yeah yeah i know i dragged it into the uh, studio today despite yeah. whatever might have gone on in your lives yesterday kelly got injured playing pickleball I didn't actually get injured. Okay, whatever. That's not the story you told before Katie turned the mics on. Well, I, di- I did kind of... You want to tell them what part of you is injured? Uh, well, I, I have a butt cheek issue going. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> she was worried about her knee and her ankle, she said, and made it through my, with those intact. No, I was worried about my knee and my back. Oh, your back. Okay. And uh, my butt cheek didn't make it out, so I'm, I'm not sure. sure how you blow out your butt cheek. I but don't know, but I'm, I've done that. I'm going to Google that. So say like Shane's broken his tailbone here recently so y'all can y'all can Ow. go shopping for donut pillows <laughs> together that sounds painful yes yes very painful i thought he was falling through our attic ceiling oh yeah right oh, straight on his tailbone bless him oh my gosh yeah. well, it's a it's a rough uh, week for butts so uh <laughs> now with that we've updated everything yeah moving right along uh what have you got for us today, Scott? Well, before we get started, I have a shout out. Uh, okay, Michael right. Terrell, who is uh, an employee at Model T's, he shares the same office with me, but not the same job. His, his okay. task is different from mine. Okay. But he listens to the show every week and he always spins around and says something about the way that we're talking to each other, gets me to clarify something that he didn't understand maybe. so. Uh, but we, he talks to me about the podcast every week, so he's a big oh, fan. Great. And, uh, oh, great. Well, glad nice. to have him Thank on board. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, he makes t-shirts is what he does. Speaking of which, we have t-shirts. We have merch. If you would like to order one, yeah, uh, send an email to truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. And yep. I'm assuming Katie will handle that because I don't know where the t-shirts are. 
I do have possession of the t-shirts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wise you are. So I wanted to ask you guys a question before we get started. A friend of mine sent me a picture of, of him meeting a famous person a few days ago. And it got me thinking, who's the most famous person I have ever met in my life? And I realized that it was the same person that my buddy Glenn sent me a picture of. It's Richard Petty, the NASCAR driver, the legend. He's a, he's in his 80s now, but I met him a long time ago on my 12th birthday. Uh, I went to a Richard Petty fan club meeting and I got to talk to him for a minute. So that's the most famous person probably I've ever had a conversation with in my life. How about you guys? Mine is Jared Pitalecki, who was on Gilmore Girls and Smallville. I oh, yeah. Okay. Bar in Nashville on my bachelorette trip. He was there alone, like, but he had like a bodyguard with him, which I didn't realize until I went up and tapped him. And his bodyguard like <laughs> turned around and he was like, it's fine. Like, Jerry Pedalecki's like 6'5". Okay. Like five feet so tall. you didn't wake up in the ER with stitches or anything? No. And I <laughs> chatted with him for a second. I'm sure I was really annoying because I was, you know, sashed up, bachelorette. And then I begged my friends to walk across and talk to him with me and they would not. And then when I got a picture with him, my other friend ran across the bar to get in that picture and I've never forgiven her since. <laughs> she didn't do anything to deserve that. Nope. Nope. nope that nothing. was your photo. Mm-hmm. Mm. Emily, you know who you are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Called her name out. That's right. It's, it's All right. How about you, Kelly Turner? Now. Um, okay. So I guess as far as talking with someone and, and having an actual conversation yeah. type meeting someone, it will be, <laughs> nobody's going to know who this is. Albert Ellis. Um, if, You're right. I don't know who yeah, it is. If you've recently taken a psychology class, you uh, recognize that name. I he had was, a feeling he was going to be. Okay. Yeah, he's, a, he's a big deal in the world of psychology. Okay. And right. he is the father of uh, rational emotive behavioral therapy. I went to one. Oh, of his, yeah, that guy. Yeah, everybody knows that guy. <laughs> went to one of his seminars, talked with him. He did autograph a couple of my books and... Um, as far as that, I've seen some pretty famous people from a distance. Uh, one person uh, was Mike Ditka. Yeah. and I've my, been in the room with Mike Ditka before. My husband stopped me from my photo with Mike Ditka. Kevin, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about this many times since we've he wouldn't let experienced you ask. that. He was totally starstruck. I mean, we walked up the stairs. We were at Ditka's. In Chicago? Yeah. That's where I saw him once, too. We walked up the stairs, and there he is. He's this massive mm-hmm. man. You're not ready for how big he is. Yeah. And his hair is perfect. Always perfect. I mean, that, you know. that Yeah, that stand-up comb back thing that yes. he's had and since the, forever. And the biggest ring ever. He only that, got that, one Super Bowl ring, so I'm guessing he's wearing it. He's wearing it. Yeah. Or he was this night. Right. It, it was huge. And... All we had to do was walk over there and talk with him because he was not eating. Our our server said, if he's eating, leave him alone. Gotcha. Mm. But Kevin was like, no, we're not going to go. We're not going to go bother him. Don't, don't, don't. And then we go over to the bar and then we sit there arguing about it. And then the moment has passed and then we just would look stupid. And then he later went back to Chicago with a bunch of his friends. Including me. That's when I saw him. And uh, I get a picture text to me with Mike Ditka for him. No. At the time, there was no bird emoji, but I would have (laughs) sent that back. (laughs) You missed your chance to create that. Yeah, I might have sent the cactus one at that time or something. I don't know. But anyway, so he got a picture with Mike Ditka, but I didn't. Oh, well. So my story could have been that. Yeah, it could have been. Whatever. I'm not bitter. Well, I'm over it. Totally. I'm not gonna. We'll never have KT on the show and give him a chance to tell that story. That will be your uh, retribution for his discretion. Yeah, he, he, you know, he's big. Yeah. All right. So, um, 
Richard Petty. Yep. And then what was yours? Jared Pedalecki. Jared Pedalecki. Pedalecki. I don't. He was Dean on Gilmore Girls. Do you ever watch Gilmore Girls? I did not. I'm and so he sorry. Was, no, I'm saying the wrong TV show. It okay. Was Supernatural. Don't oh, know okay. that one. I don't know that one either. Is Smallville and Supernatural are very similar. Okay. Is Superman in both of them? I think so. Okay. Like I said, I didn't really watch it. Is this guy? Oh yeah. I can sort of see that. I actually, yeah, his face is very familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Supernatural. Oh well. Hmm. All, All right, right then. So um, we're ready for the case this week now, Scott. I don't this know if case, I am. This case. Look. So I knew what this case was when when I asked Scott to do it. And I did not know. Scott didn't know anything much about, about it. it at all. Katie still doesn't know anything about it. Mm-mm. Okay, so Katie's the dummy this week. All right, and Scott. So I think, am I. I think you're a little more well versed in this now than I am, since you've been doing your. <sighs> I don't know. We'll see. Research, but we shall see. This is a very popular case, and we have we've had multiple people request mm-hmm. this one. Yeah, enough people that you would think I would have looked it up by now, but I've just let I'm it I'm glad you didn't. I'm, I, I want to see the look on your face when I tell you some of the things I'm about to yeah, tell you. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers is yeah, all I can tell that's you. That's right. So take it away, Scott. All right, guys. To borrow a line from the late, great singer-songwriter Jim Croce, we're going to tell you a story that you won't believe. And to give credit where credit is due, we know an awful lot about what we know about this story because of the mother of one of the two victims. Her name was Linda Ives. She passed away in June of 2021, but before that happened, she fought for 35 years from the time of the crime until her death to find out what happened to her son and her son's friend when practically no one else seemed to care. And when we tell you why no one seemed to care, it is going to grind your gears. Yep. We also have journalist Mara Leverett to thank for what we know about this case, this crime. Uh, Because of her 1999 book titled simply The Boys on the Tracks. There's a lot of terrific in-depth research in that book. And I've just finished reading it. And I'm reading through it again to get notes and and build these stories as we tell this uh, multi-part series. I'm not giving too much away. Do you hate the government? Stick around. And I'm not one of those people who hates the government. Uh, For better or worse, I think we live in the best country in the world. It's not perfect, of course. But it's better than just about anywhere else. But just like I was. You are going to be frustrated, infuriated by what did not happen over the course of the multiple investigations into what happened to these two boys. This is one of the most high-profile unsolved homicide cases in Arkansas history. The investigations, and there were at least nine of them over the years, the investigations were tinged with international intrigue, vast conspiracy theories involving local corruption, state-level and federal-level cover-ups, and even ties to U.S. foreign policy and the international drug trade. Depending on who you ask and who you believe, some of those cover-ups, if they ever even existed to begin with, really, went as far up the political ladder as the White House. This story is so crazy that it's going to take us three episodes to tell it all and try to explain it. Episode one begins right now. Kevin Ives, age 17, and his good friend Don Henry, age 16, we're getting ready to head back to Bryant High School in Saline County, Arkansas to begin what would have been Kevin's senior year, which made him the same exact age as me in the summer of 1987. I was 17 as well, about to begin my senior year. Don was to be a junior that year. School was going to begin on Monday, August the 24th, 1987. 
but let's wind it back about 28 hours. It is the day before, on Sunday, August the 23rd, 1987, at 4 o'clock in the morning, when our story comes rolling down the tracks. Imagine yourself in the cab of the lead diesel locomotive on a mile-long Union Pacific freight train traveling due north through the rolling country of southern central Arkansas. The train was headed from Texarkana, Texas toward Little Rock. The train was passing through Saline County near the town of Alexander, about 25 miles south of Little Rock, which is the Arkansas state capital. There was no moon in the sky, so it was very dark that morning, still a couple of hours before sunrise. The train was headed up a long straight stretch of track that was mostly isolated from surrounding homes and trailer park communities. There were trees down both sides of the railway clearing, and along this stretch, the rails consisted of two tracks running parallel, just to get a picture in your mind. Okay. There were about 75 cars in the train, some loaded and some empty. It was traveling at 52 miles per hour. Well, it had been until a couple of minutes before just now, because over the past half mile, as I have been talking, the train has come to a screeching, shuddering stop. This because one of the engineers in the cab of the lead locomotive had hit the emergency brake after seeing in his headlight what turned out to be two young men lying across the tracks, completely immobile. Despite the vibrating rails beneath their legs, the showers of sparks and the screeching steel from the full-on application of the emergency brake and the 100-decibel blast of the engine's diesel horn, which brakeman Danny DeLamar never laid off of until after all the motion had ceased, those two boys never moved. Never moved. Lead conductor Jerry Tomlin grabbed the radio and screamed to his dispatcher, we've got death on the rails. Oh, God. DeLamar, from his left side front seat, had been the first to see something on the tracks ahead. The train had been approaching a small bridge over Crooked Creek. When about 15 cars out in front, in his headlight, DeLamar saw what looked like what he called a dark spot on the tracks. DeLamar shouted out, and his fellow engineer, Stephen Schroyer, in the right side front seat, focused his attention on the same spot. Conductor Tomlin jumped to the windshield and looked at the section of railway illuminated by the headlight, and he saw it too. All three men knew from experience, and they were all extremely experienced railway men, that any sort of brush or debris on the track would initially appear dark in contrast to the otherwise unending monotony of the metal rails slowly converging towards the horizon. As their eyes adjusted, all three men quickly realized they weren't seeing brush or debris. DeLamar shouted, oh my God, and hit the brakes. By now, the lead engine was less than 100 feet from what by now was clearly, quote, two young men lying between the rails just north of the small bridge over Crooked Creek. I'm guessing a train is not stopping within 100 feet. Their stomachs dropped, they all said later, because there was no time to stop. Mm -hmm. No, no, they just watched this happen. It's got to be a nightmare. I mean, yeah. they, I mean, they probably still have that nightmare. Nothing they could do. No, there's nothing they could do. There was absolutely no movement from either of the boys on the tracks, both were lying perpendicular to the rails, their heads against the west rail on the left as the train approached, their legs over the east side rail on the right. They were lying right next to each other with their arms at their sides. The boys seemed to be partially covered by some sort of pale green tarp, perhaps like a boat cover. Also, there was a rifle lying parallel to the boys, right beside them on the gravel between the rails. The boys' heads were facing straight up. DeLamar said later that it looked like they were soldiers at attention. 
despite the deafening roar of death approaching. Neither boy jerked, twitched, opened an eye, or moved a muscle. From the time DeLamar hit the brake and the blasting of the horn began, until the shuddering, jerking, mile-long line of cars began to pass over the boys, only about five seconds had elapsed. But Schroyer said later that it seemed like an eternity. Oh, yeah. You can't stop a train that fast, he said, and it was a helpless feeling. Imagine looking into the beam of your headlight and seeing this on an otherwise blinding black night. One of the boys was wearing a blue shirt. The other was shirtless. They were both partially covered from the tarp, like I mentioned. All three railway men were very specific about the tarp, partially covering the boys. And there had been a blinding flash when the bright beam from the locomotive's headlight struck the barrel of the rifle laying beside the boys. So they all saw the rifle. They all saw the tarp. All three men later described that flash of light. So they saw the gun. They all did. And they also remembered what they heard. We could hear them hit, Tomlin said. He described the sound as mostly a thud, followed by the sound of rocks flying as the bodies were carried along, tumbling underneath the train for some distance before being flung out to the edges of the tracks. One of the engineers stayed with the radio while the two others grabbed flashlights and began walking back towards the direction they had just come from, both fully aware of what they were going to find. About 35 cars back, they spotted in their flashlight beams a trio of dismembered toes. Oh, gosh. Over the course of the next hour, the largest body part they found was the chest and head of the second boy, the boy without a shirt. That was 16-year-old Don Henry. In the first few minutes before the police arrived, the two men noticed something strange about the blood from the bodies. First of all, there wasn't very much of it anywhere to be seen. Secondly, the blood they did see at the scene was not the bright red color of blood that had been freshly pumping just minutes before. Mm -hmm. It was more of a purplish color, they recalled later, as if it had been starved of oxygen. Since that area of the county was unincorporated, the Saline County Sheriff's Department was in charge of the investigation, and on-duty deputies soon arrived on the scene. But they may as well not have, because it was then that the disgusting, disturbing tale of the boys on the tracks really began. First of all, Saline County Sheriff Jim Steed's deputies had immediately begun insisting that the tarp the train crew reported seeing lying across the boys was nothing more than an optical illusion. The train crew could not understand why their unanimous statements about such a seemingly neutral piece of information was being met with total disbelief. Yeah, that, that's weird right Seems weird, that. right? Mm-hmm. Before long, though, there would be plenty of disbelief to go around. As it quickly became abundantly clear to the train crew that the incident was being treated as a freak accident, nothing more. Out there that night, Tomlin said later, I kind of smelled a rat. He always maintained that something was not right about those boys' bodies. Yeah, I mean, this isn't fried green tomatoes. Well, there is, there is always, there's already a lot that is not adding up just by what you've told us. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're an hour after the accident. Yeah. And this is a story that lasted for, till just now. And it's still ongoing. Yep. I like it. Also impeding any future efforts at a thorough investigation was the fact that the deputy in charge of measuring distances and drawing sketches of the scene had used the corner of one of the train cars as his initial reference point. So when the train moved on down the tracks a few hours later, his reference point was lost forever. What? It was item number one on a list of apparent mistakes that ended up being every single bit as long as that mile long train. 
The deputies waved off the protests of the railway men who insisted that something must have happened to the boys before they ended up lying across the tracks. One boy not moving was strange enough, but both of the young men lying completely still as a freight train approached seemed a brooch of common sense, at least to the railway crew. When an Arkansas state trooper arrived on the scene sometime later, he told the deputies that proper investigative procedure was to treat any such incident first as a possible homicide so that evidence could be preserved and the most serious possibilities eliminated before considering alternatives. He was ignored. The first paramedic team on the scene noticed the same peculiarities about the blood that the train crew had observed, that there wasn't very much of it, and what there was was purple, as if it had been starved of oxygen for some time before being spilled by the incident on the tracks. The EMTs also noticed that the body parts appeared very pale in color, as if the boys had been dead for some time. Mm -hmm. Strangely, their observations never made it into any official report from the scene. Stumbling along, the Saline County deputies chose to treat the scene as nothing more than a traffic fatality. To that end, the tarp never made it back to the sheriff's office, nor did the rifle that the train crew had seen on the gravel between the rails beside the boys. Sheriff Jim Steed didn't even bother coming to the scene. It was a slipshod investigation at best. Case in point, after the details of the incident involving the two boys made the television news and the area newspapers, relatives and curiosity seekers, of course, flocked to the tracks. And there, one of them discovered a severed foot lying in the gravel. It had been left behind by the deputies as the body parts were collected. I mean, they couldn't even count the feet. Conductor Tomlin said that it seemed to him from the beginning that the deputies really just wanted to hurry up and get the place cleaned up so they could get back to the donut shop. He said they were not interested in looking for clues. That was obvious. Oh, it's probably like beating your head against a wall trying to make someone listen to you that mm-hmm. doesn't seem interested. Yeah. And sure enough, on Tuesday after the incident on Sunday morning on the tracks, the Saline County Chief Deputy was quoted in the local newspaper as saying that the only thing his department had ruled out was foul play. What an odd statement to make. Yeah. It was a choice made by the local law enforcement agency responsible for finding out what had happened to 17-year-old Kevin Ives and 16-year-old Don Henry that would not sit well with any of the family members of the two boys, Kevin's mother, Linda, in particular. Mm -hmm. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services, located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. It's almost time to tidy up the deck, clean the gutters, and spruce up the yard and landscaping around your home, lake house, or creekside cabin. And who better to do that for you than the professional crew at A&W Outdoor Services? Call 256-706-7964 and let Alan and his crew do all the hard work for you so you can spend your time this summer enjoying your piece of Cherokee County and clean, carefree comfort. Call Alan today for a free estimate or to get on the A&W Spring Schedule before it's full. That's A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Weiss Lake, swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club, climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village, hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve, take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park, and much, much more. 
The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds. And they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are. And if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. If you want to keep current on all the happenings in and around Cherokee County, a subscription to the Post-Herald is a great way to do that. The Post-Herald is a one-stop shop for local, state, national, and world news and sports. The Post-Herald also contains crossword and Sudoku puzzles, syndicated opinion and advice columns, and free classified ads. Depending on your zip code, you can get a full year of the Post-Herald delivered to your door for as little as $20 annually during our springtime subscription drive. That's cheap. So call 256 right. <laughs> so 256-927-4476 today and subscribe to the Cherokee Post Herald. That's 256-927-4476. Thank you for being a sponsor. And thank you to our sponsors. Scott, take us away. So the first that Linda Ives heard of her son's fate was when Don Henry's father, Curtis, called her later that Sunday and in a near hysterical voice cried out to her, get over here quick. They've been shot and tied to the railroad tracks and run over by a train. Oh. Uh Yeah. What a phone call. The next 24 hours went by in a blur of unanswered questions for the parents of the two boys, perhaps most poignantly for Kevin's father, Larry Ives, himself a train engineer at Union Pacific, he wondered how his son could wind up dead on the tracks. Because just as a fireman would warn his children not to play with matches, Larry had always taught his son to watch out for trains. Yeah. Kevin, his father knew, knew not to play around on the tracks. Well, and trains don't sneak up on you. Yeah. It's not something that you If you can't hear it or "Ah!" see it, you can feel it. (laughs) Right, right. You realize the train is coming Mm -hmm. before the train is there. Yeah. You can hear it. Like you said, you can feel it. And if they're, you know, he's pulling that horn the whole time. 100 decibels. Yeah. Almost as loud as a jet engine at takeoff. And they don't move. Right. Not 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 a twitch. Yeah. Because even if you're wanting to be laying there, you, I mean, involuntarily, you'll probably jerk at that noise. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Among the unanswered questions for Curtis Henry was why his son Don would lie his rifle down on the gravel between the tracks. Curtis knew that Don had worshipped his guns, took meticulous care of them. He wouldn't lie them down on the grass, much less on the gravel. So that that was a red flag for Curtis Henry right away. It all began to sink in on Monday afternoon when a Saline County deputy called Linda and casually inquired about which local funeral home she wanted Kevin's body sent to. On the day of the funerals, the boys were mourned by their relatives and classmates, but there were still so many unanswered questions. Already, it was beginning to look like whatever had happened on those tracks that night was going to take a long story to tell. But even the 32nd version of the story was so horrible and odd that the boys on the tracks had gotten the attention of the entire state. TV news fans from stations across Arkansas converged on Saline County. Talking heads and newspaper headlines reported that local authorities were categorizing the deaths as either accidental or, 
And if the red light on your bullshit detector does not light up when I say this, you need to replace the batteries. A double suicide. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Like, it it just that doesn't make any sense. There's no way. There's no way. Those were the 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 kinds of rumors that were going around. Yeah. In the days after, say somebody said the sheriff's department's going to say it was a double suicide. They couldn't get any answers. Yeah. So so there, someone is wanting other people to believe, or someone might entertain to try to believe. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody believes this. Yeah. But I think they're they are wanting people to believe that two young boys purposefully laid on those tracks and neither boy moved anything right while the train approached mm-hmm. while it came to a screeching halt while the horn was honking or the what is it the train the, whistle the, whistles yeah, blowing that is a 100 decibel diesel horn yeah uh and neither boy moved and and they want people to buy that that's right and there's blood is not everywhere and it's not even the right color. Mm-hmm. EMTs are telling us that. Yep. Do they think that everybody is stupid? Or are they stupid? Or are they just that bold? I think it's a combination of all three of those. Okay. Based on what I know so far. So those are the kinds of things that were going around. But lo- local law enforcement did typically add to their theories that the final word on the matter would not be issued until the state's number one medical examiner had his say. Surely the boys thought, I'm sorry, surely the boys' parents thought when the state of Arkansas got involved in the investigation, all of the bullshit would get shoveled away and replaced by cold, hard facts. Yeah, you would think. Unfortunately, it turned out that that pile of bullshit was not going anywhere. In fact, it was only going to grow. Oh, Lord. For several days, Linda and Larry and Curtis and all of the friends and relatives of the boys had heard Kevin and Don portrayed as suicidal, possibly because of drug use or some type of deep, undiagnosed depression. Teenage boys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Of course, everyone who had known the boys knew that that sounded ridiculous. The parents took comfort in the fact that state police were now investigating and autopsies were being performed and that answers, no matter how hard they might be to hear, would soon be coming. One week after burying their son, Linda and Larry drove the 25 miles to Little Rock to the headquarters of the Arkansas State Police for a meeting with the state medical examiner, Dr. Fami Malik. It's Fami. Fami Malik. F-A-H-M-Y. M-A-L-A-K. Fami Malik. Okay. Everyone, just Google him. Just look at his face. Dr. Malik was a native of Egypt. He wore thick glasses and spoke with an even thicker Egyptian accent and sometimes used phrases that clearly gave away his infirm grasp of the finer points of the English language, said a guy from Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) When Fami Malik told Linda and Larry that their son and his friend had died of THC intoxication. What? I told you Come the bullshit again. was going to get start piling up. Is that the first case ever? Apparently. THC intoxication, he said. Now, they were both certain when they heard that, that they had not heard him correctly. Yeah, you know this no. is wrong. Um, do you remember that he was um, on a train track? Mm-hmm. There was a gun beside him. What, what yeah, but 
But Dr. Malik assured them that he had measured a level of THC in the boy's blood that indicated, in the boy's blood, that indicated that they had smoked around 20 marijuana cigarettes before lying down on the tracks and drifting into a level of unconsciousness so deep that it prevented them from being awakened by the sound of the approaching train. For Linda Ives, the ridiculous had just gotten ridiculouser. 20 joints. And for me too, by the way. 20 joints. At that point in my research, I was like, what did I just read? 2-0. Listen, I can tell you, I have been stoned plenty of times in my life. (laughs) Allegedly. I was going to use allegedly at the end, but okay, we can stick it in there. (laughs) And I can tell you for certain that marijuana does not induce any sort of psychedelic stupor that renders you in a state of deep unconsciousness. In fact, I do some of my best writing when I am allegedly stoned. Did you do any research to see literally if there's ever been a cause of death? I was afraid Google would laugh out loud at me if I typed in THC intoxication. Um, death by i mean we can yeah we can search that but yeah we'll 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 do a little research about that because we're going to get back we're going to start we'll talk about that some next week as well here's the deal even if that has happened if, mm-hmm. if somewhere in the world someone has passed away from thc intoxication mm-hmm. because that's what he said it was right that's not this case no 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 no, no. so Back in the medical examiner's office, when Linda and Larry pressed Dr. Malik for a clearer understanding of exactly what it was he was trying to explain, he became agitated and hostile and grabbed for an envelope. I knew I was going to say envelope. I said it yesterday when I was reading. For some reason, I say envelope. Uh, Dr. Malik grabbed for an envelope on his desk. Would you like to see the autopsy photos, he asked Kevin's parents. He has said this to parents if, as if somehow autopsy photos would explain his asinine attempt to account for the boys yeah, just by just, THC intoxication. Yeah, look, at, look at the autopsy photos. Can't you tell they're, they're just of the pieces of their body. He was threatening were... them. He was trying to intimidate them. What? Oh my gosh. Mm-mm. Malik had been the Arkansas medical examiner for nine years at the time of his meeting with the Ives family, having been appointed by, a young Bill Clinton, who had been the governor of the state in 1978. Malik had been involved in several controversial decisions over those years. Just a couple of examples, in one case involving a man who had been found decapitated, Malik's autopsy results found that the man had died of a stomach ulcer. Say that. He died of it. Head missing, stomach ulcer, cause of death. So he just be making up causes of death. What? Yeah. What? And next it's going to be stub toe. He has said that the man died of a stomach ulcer and the man was headless. That's is correct. that what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. Have we checked this man's medical degree? He's got one. Had one. Wow. Just uh, wow. In another case, Malik ruled that the suicide, I'm sorry, he ruled a suicide in the death of a man who had been shot five times in the chest. No. Uh-uh. No. Yes. I could keep going. Keep going. But I mean, it's, they're all just, those are the two worst ones. Five times in the chest. I think, I think suicide, the first one. A lot of controversial decisions uh -uh. by this Fami Malik guy. And he was, he was placed there by the governor. That's correct. 
And who was Bill Clinton at the time? Yes, in 1978. So he's Bill Clinton's guy, right? Yeah. I'm I mean, Bill, did they yes. know each other? Clinton Obviously. was, Clinton was uh, the governor for, it's a two-year term in Arkansas, so he was okay. elected governor, so he was governor from 78 to 80, then he lost the 80 election, I think, and then in 82, he ran successfully uh, for governor again, and it, I think he was, or maybe it was 84, maybe there were two governors in between, but anyway, he was, uh, he was re-elected governor of Arkansas prior to his initial run for presidency mm-hmm. in 92. So is this medical examiner job like a, it's an appointed position, I guess, but yeah. it doesn't, was there no, no other applicant? I, I did. I don't know. And they I mean, don't, I just is it like wanna, a lifetime appointment situation? He moved from, no, I think it's, uh, it's up to the governor. And then that's, that's going to be a sticky wicket next week when all of these uh, problems with Dr. Malik get exposed to the world and everybody in the state government, defends him hard seriously oh yeah it's frustrating because we can't possibly because we can't move on (laughs) well there there's there's one of two reasons we can't possibly admit that we have screwed the pooch on this that we've picked somebody who is absolutely and utterly incompetent yeah there's an interview with him that you can see on one of the documentaries uh and it's hard to understand what he's saying but uh, the reporter is saying so you've you've conducted 7,000 autopsies since you've been the medical examiner for the state of Arkansas. And you're telling me that you've never made one single mistake. And he says, of course not. I can't with this level of arrogance Mm -hmm. and and stupidity at the same time. So arrogance and stupidity is a dangerous combination. So we can't, we can't admit that we've put the wrong guy in or we've put the exactly right guy in because we're hiding something. Could be. Now, as far as the saline, yeah, as far as the saline county chief deputy goes, the one who's already said they've ruled out foul play, he said, "Sounds good to us. We believe the medical examiner." Case closed. Idiots. Linda Ives, on the other hand, still had plenty of questions. Mm -hmm. She tried to talk to the paramedics who had been at the scene, but they told her the saline county deputies had warned them not to say anything about what they had seen that night. Warned them. The local hospital refused to hand over any records they had about the recovery of the boys' bodies. And as far as Sheriff Jim Steed and his chief deputy were concerned, there was no missing green tarp or missing rifle. The entire case was closed. When the families reached out for a second opinion about the blood test results that had showed such high levels of THC, it was eventually determined that Dr. Malik had not tested either of the boys' blood as his autopsy report claimed, he had only tested Kevin's urine and had done that incorrectly. What? When Linda and Larry called the state crime lab for samples of the boys' remains for private testing, Dr. Malik refused to do so unless they obtained a court order. When Linda presented him with one, Malik still refused. How? And when Linda reached out to the Arkansas Attorney General's office to ask them to force Malik to cooperate, the Attorney General said he could only strongly urge Malik to do so. He would not force him to comply. She's got a court order Mm -hmm. for these remains. Yep. And this one man has the ability to just say no. Certainly seems that way. So Larry is trying to console uh, console his wife. He's telling Linda, look, this can't be some great conspiracy against us. Mm -hmm. To which Linda replied, then please tell me what the hell is going on. Right, because, yeah, I mean, they're just ordinary people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't seem that there'd be a reason. Yeah. No, they, they're not, you know, higher up, influential people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just citizens of this county. What county Saline is Saline County, Arkansas. Sa- Saline yeah. County. They're just citizens 
of Salem County, Arkansas. Yeah. So Larry began, he, he started to see a psychiatrist to, to deal with his grief and, and try to learn how to move on. Linda, on the other hand, her therapy was uh, not to take it lying down on a psychiatrist's couch or any way, any other way. No, she said, you know what? Follow me. It's mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So about five months, after five months of fighting this, uh, to try and get the truth, Linda grabbed her phone book. Kelly, you remember phone books, right? I remember phone books. Yeah. Uh, and she called a press conference on February the 7th, 1988 in the lobby at the local holiday inn. Linda stared into the cameras of the gathered TV cameras and ripped into Dr. Fami Malik and his flippant findings. I like Linda yep. a lot. The following day, Dr. Malik was the essence of cooperation during a visit to his office by Larry and Curtis and their newly hired private investigator. Mm-hmm. In front of more TV cameras, Malik announced that he would be happy to release the samples of the boys' remains, but cautioned that all of the work and expense of more investigations would be for naught. You're just going to be spending a lot of money hiring quacks, Malik told Larry and Curtis as they left his office. Don't worry, Curtis Henry fired back. We've already heard the quacks' opinion. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it takes one to know one, Fami. Next week in part two, we will continue the journey that this story will be by the time we're finished telling it, here's one hint. There are statewide repercussions in the wake of that press conference at the Holiday Inn. Guys, I mean, this story, think about it. Repercussions for whom? I'll tell you next week. Oh, That's the hint. No! We are only five months into a story, as I said earlier, that is still a Jordian knot of unanswered questions and conspiracy theories 36 years later. No! I want to know, okay, when... when Fami Malik, I, I can't get past him. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I can't get past him. When he takes this case, how long has he been the state medical examiner? Uh, eight years. Eight years of this. Nine years. Nine years. Eight or nine, somewhere in there. And the state is aware that he's caught, he has said a headless man died of a stomach ulcer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that checks out. And they're like, yay. Okay, good. Exactly. Thanks, Dr. Malik. So, that. Um, Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, we're down the rabbit hole again. Thanks to our loyal listener, Karen Blair, for suggesting this story. I think you said several people have, but she was the one who suggested it to me. And then I pass that along to you. Yeah, Cheryl Adams also suggested it. I was not at all familiar with this story Mm -hmm. when I began my research. But I can tell you now, before this series is over, we will have talked about drug dealers in South America. Freedom Fighters in Central America, Colonel Oliver North, President George H.W. Bush, President Bill Clinton, a rash of dead grand jury witnesses in Saline County, Arkansas, and a complete cast of local dirtbags that would all be right at home in a 1980s-era campy TV series about a crooked sheriff and his minions running roughshod over anyone in the community who tried to stand in the way of their nefarious plans. And a Fami Malik and a pear tree and a pear tree. This is without a doubt one of those cases where truth is stranger than fiction and we're going to tell you a lot more stranger truth than fiction next week in part two. Well, I'm already angry, Scott, so... Good! Yeah. How, uh, You're going to get angrier and angrier. I'm confused. Yeah, yeah. Well, not, not by the sto- by what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Why? I know, when I got to this, when I, when I read this far in the book the first time through... I wanted to skip to the back. 
and find Sarah's out what the hell yeah, happened. Yeah, I need the wasp. So, so all of the yeah. listeners out there, I understand your frustration at me right now, yeah. but you are living this experience the same way that I did. You're just going to have to <laughs> wait your turn to find out what happened. But you know what? Uh, may Linda rest in peace, but Linda is... In my opinion, the hero of the story. Uh, uh, yeah, she would not let her son die in vain, or for for no reason, with no excuse. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, guys, uh, give us a five star review on your listening platform of choice. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, go to truecrimeoneasystreet.com to find out more about the three of us, if you dare. Good night, everybody. <laughs>